Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you today. I'm grateful to be here and have any kind of a voice at all this morning. I've been struggling for about three weeks now with uh, the aftermath of a cold, and last week I was thinking, wow, it's not going to be much to listen to next week, and God has been healing me through the week, and last night I just was praying about that, and I just sensed through the evening that I was getting better and better, so some of you have been praying as well, I know, and I'm grateful for that, and so it's not as strong as it could be, so there won't be any hooting and hollering today. Um, I informed the sound people they might have to turn me up a little bit, but I'll just talk to you today. Is that all right? And we'll just share the word of God together. Take your Bibles and turn in them to Genesis chapter 39. I've been laboring the last several weeks since Pastor Mark has invited me to preach about what God would have me to share with you. I've begun two or three sermons, and they were good sermons too. I really liked them. And then... God just stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, that's just not what needs to be heard. God, what is it that your people need to hear? And as I was laboring and really praying and seeking the Lord's face, he, he led me to uh, remember um, just about everything that is happening in our world today and in our personal lives today as well. So many things are happening in our world Isn't that right? So many tragedies, either on the world scene or in our personal lives. Sometimes it's hard to kind of comprehend. It's hard to keep up with it politically, economically, socially. So many changes are taking place. And then there have been things that have been happening in our personal lives, amongst our congregation, people going through various levels and degrees of health issues, others going through emotional or family trauma of some sort and loss. And of course, we've been praying for our dear brother Rob and his wife Edith as they have been going through this deep, deep valley and our hearts are heavy for them. And then the Lord led me to think about a chapter in the book that I had, that I've written. I'm not selling books, but in the book that I wrote entitled, Where's God When Things Go Wrong? Again, I'm not selling books. I don't have a book stand out front. But I wrote that chapter during a very, very difficult time in our own lives after the loss, the death of our own precious son. And I feel like God has led me to share that message with you, that God led me to write in a very difficult time in our lives. Where is God when things go wrong? Where is God when things go wrong? Maybe you've been there lately. I don't know what's been happening in your lives. I know certain things that are happening, but but maybe you're going through some kind of a difficult time in your life. Everybody does. You know, the Bible says that in this world you will have trouble. On a lighter note, you call 911 and get put on hold. That's not a very good thing, right? (laughs) You, uh, 
you're 49 and you get offered a senior's discount at the store, you know, you go, wait a minute. You're trying to lose weight and you gain five pounds. You know, on a lighter note, there's that kind of thing. But on a more serious note, you go to the doctor one day and discover that you have cancer. You've been trying to have a child and you have a miscarriage. The bills are weighing in on you heavy and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet and all of a sudden you, out of the blue, get laid off or you can't find a job. Your spouse slips on the ice and falls and ends up in the hospital. A loved one dies suddenly. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You've experienced it. Maybe you're going through it right now. You, you're just going through life. You're, <clears throat> you're trying to be good. You're trying to live right. And, and all of a sudden, just bam, you get hit in the head with a two-by-four. And you think, God, where are you? I've been living for you. I've been, I've been doing what I think sh I should be doing. I've been living right. I, I serve you. Why have you let me down like this? I don't deserve this. And our tendency is to want to blame God for all the things that happen in our world and in our lives and, and maybe even run from him. But this morning, I want us to take a look at a story in the Old Testament where where he didn't run, but he drew close to the Lord. It's found in Genesis beginning. We're going to start there in Genesis chapter 39. It's a story about the Old Testament character of Joseph. I love his story. You remember how the story goes. The Joseph, Joseph's brothers were all jealous of him because of apparently the favoritism was shown toward him by his father Jacob. And one day Jacob sends, sends Joseph out to where the other brothers are, are shepherding the sheep to find out how they're doing. They've been gone quite a long time and he was concerned about them. And he said, here, Joseph, take some supplies and go out and see how they, how they are doing. And they see him coming in his multicolored coat, favoritism from his father. And they decided to hatch a plan, and, and because of their jealousy, their hatred towards him, they, they take him and throw him in a pit, and they sell him to a trading caravan heading to Egypt, and from there he got sold in Egypt as a slave. And through it all, Joseph had more than his fair share of dark, difficult days. We're looking at chapter 39, and... I'd like to read verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into a prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. It, it, he, was, he was put into a dark, dry, dirty, dingy pit where some of the worst of the worst of the Egyptian criminals were, were, were placed. And not because he had done something wrong, but because rather he had done something right. You see, he wasn't there because of a bad crime, but because of a good character. In fact, for a good part of his life, Joseph's tombstone could have read, nice guys finish last. And yet, through it all, Joseph remained a nice guy. 
And today we're going to learn some very valuable lessons about how to make it when things go wrong. I don't think it's a coincidence that at the beginning of the story about Joseph that, that we read about these dreams that he had. If you go back to chapter uh, 37, um, it's a prophetical dream by way of God giving to Joseph some promises that he's going to hang on to. In chapter 39, or in 39 um, we begin these stories about his dreams. And before I give you the scripture, let me give you the principle that we're going to learn, which is that when everything goes wrong, remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God. Now let's look at the promises. Chapter 37, the first promise is verse 7. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now that was a dream about how God was going to elevate Joseph above the world's resources. And then he gave them a second dream, told his brothers in verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And in this dream, God told them that he was going to be elevated above the world's rulers, including his brothers. Well, they didn't like that too much, did they? Now, we can second guess everything, right? Should, should Joseph have kept those dreams to himself? We don't know. We don't know for sure, maybe. Could he have shared them in a less, I don't know, pompous kind of a way? Was there some sort of a pride involved with his telling the dream to his brothers? We don't know for sure, but, but for some, some reason, and maybe just because of the dreams themselves, his brothers really didn't like what he had to say. And so they threw him into a pit. But the reality is that these were dreams that were given to Joseph by God himself. And God, in his miraculous, wonderful, sovereign way, used the immaturity of Joseph and perhaps even the way that he related those dreams to his brothers in order to get Joseph to the right country in the right time, into the right position so that he could fulfill those dreams. And, jo and while Joseph was going through those dark, terrible days, and while everything seemed to be going wrong, and in all that time that God was using to prepare, to train Joseph for his future duties, in the back of Joseph's mind were these promises, a remembrance of what God had said to him of elevation and exaltation. You see, when, when dark and dreary days, night and nights come into your life, instead of sinking in the premises, we need to stand on the promises 
That's one you need to write down. I can almost hear Joseph now. As he makes the pit and the prison his personal platform of praise, I couldn't get any more peas in. He was living in the full confidence <clears throat> that God's promise for him would be fulfilled. And I, I, in fact, I, I, think that, I think that if the song had have been written in Joseph's time, he would have been singing it. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Can you say that today? Is that your hope? Is that, is that what you're standing on? I'll tell you from my personal experience after the death of our son, when the dark days were dark and the nights were difficult and that when the devil came and whispered into my ear, what does your future look like now, pastor? Once I was able to get my head around it and my heart in the right place, I was able to say with full assurance, my future looks as bright as the promises of God. It's true for all of us. When everything goes wrong, remember the promises of God. But also when everything goes wrong, we need to rely on the providence of God. Let's just think about what Joseph had to go through and decide how we would feel if we were in his shoes, in his situation. His brothers were jealous of him and they abused him. <clears throat> and they throw him into the pit by the way, this was near a town called Dothan, which was known for its pits. Uh, there was a lack of water in Dothan. And so they would dig these pits or cisterns, if you will. And some of them were dug out of the limestone and some of them were dug and then plastered. If you go online, you can see a picture of them. They're pretty cool. They're still there today. You see, since most of Israel's rainfall is confined to three or four months of the year, these cisterns, they, they collected rainwater, <clears throat> and it was made available to them during the dry seasons. It wasn't unusual that there wasn't any water in these pits during this time of year. And so they threw him one of the, into the, one of those dry pits, and then you remember that, a, that an Egyptian caravan came along, and they said, hey, let's sell him, let's get rid of him. And so they sold him to an Egyptian caravan and, and, they, and they in turn went to Egypt and they, they, they sold him into, uh, into the slavery and then the owner's wife lied about him and he was thrown into a dungeon, chapter 39, that we read and he was forgotten about there. Now think about it. Joseph lost his freedom because he would not compromise his purity and he would not corrupt his integrity, and he refused to cast away his dignity. In other words, he wasn't suffering for doing wrong, but he was suffering for doing right. Doesn't it remind you of the words of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20? Maybe if it's up on the board, we can read it together. 
1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. Read that with me, will you? For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And we tend to think that if, that if something bad happens to a good person, it's probably because they did something bad. Isn't that right? But the reality is that it could be that something bad happened to a good person because the good person is doing something good. Maybe it's like the pastor who came home from a missions trip and, and a church member met him at the airport and said, hi, pastor, I've got some bad news for you. Oh, what happened? Well, a cyclone came into town and it, 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 it destroyed my house. The pastor looked down and he said, well, I was afraid something like that might happen. You know, I've been kind of concerned about the way you've been living and I've been praying for you and and I think maybe this is God's discipline on your life. The church member said, Pastor, it, it blew your house down too. <laughs> Let's be careful not to assign blame to a good person who maybe is doing something good and something bad has happened to them. Maybe it's not them to blame it all. Maybe it's because they're doing something good. Joseph must have gone through some very deep times of doubt and confusion over the, the years that he was a slave and a prisoner in Egypt. It's tough going through difficult times when you're, when you're doing good and you think that you should be having good times, good things happen to you. I mean, why is it that even though some people live good and pure lives and they, they eat right and they exercise, they end up with heart disease? Why is it that a person works hard in their job and they're a faithful employee and they get laid off? Why is it that a person can pour their hearts into a relationship and it goes sour? Why is it that you can raise your child in a Christian home and, and have Christian values and they turn towards the world? Those are all difficult things to go through. And you think, what did I do wrong? What, why am I a bad person? Why are bad things happening to me? But the reality is that there are going to be times when you cannot make sense out of sorrow, times when the math just does not add up. In fact, the hardest things to stand are the things you don't understand. But there's great truth that we need to remember in Joseph's life, which is that just because things don't make sense to us, listen, just because things don't make sense to us does not mean they don't make sense. Because everything that happens makes sense to God. What's hidden from us is never hidden from God. And there are going to be times that faith is going to have to swim where reason can't even wade because God knows what he's doing. 
when all Joseph could do was see the prison, God could see the palace. And that's why Joseph could say to his brothers over in Genesis in chapter 50, at the end of this story, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, excuse me, God, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Hey, the next time that life deals you a difficult hand, I want you to remember two prison promises found in Scripture, things that I've been personally learning over the last several years. The first one comes from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. I know that it's a familiar verse to us, but it's either true or it's not true. You have to make a decision whether you're going to believe it or not. And we know, read it with me, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You either believe that or you don't. You either stand on that promise or you don't. We don't always see it immediately. It might might take God some time to work it out. We might even grow impatient in waiting, but just like Jesus turned the water into wine, God will take something bad that has happened to us and turn it into something good. And you know, We don't even have to understand the bad thing that has happened to us. We don't have to understand the promise. But what we have to do is that we have to believe that what God said is true and then begin living in the hope of our future in God. That's the first prison promise. The second prison promise is found In Psalm 138, verse 8. Psalm 138, verse 8. Read that with me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hand. Another wonderful promise that the Lord will surely fulfill his purpose for our lives. And we can depend upon the providence of God. What was the first first thing? Remember the promises of God. Secondly, the providence of God. Thirdly, when everything goes wrong, we can rest on the presence of God. Joseph was girded by the promises of God He was guided by the providence of God and he was guarded by the presence of God. In Genesis chapter 39, verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. Every step of the way, God was with Joseph. He was with Joseph when he was down in the pit. He was with Joseph when he was a slave. 
God never forgot him when he was in that prison. Listen, no matter what storms in life you go through, God is always with you. In the same way that he was with Noah when he was on the ark navigating those rough waters, God was right there with him. In the same way that when those three Hebrew slaves were thrown into the fiery pit, 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 God got into the fire with them. In the same way that when Daniel was thrown into the Daniel's pit and God shut the lion's mouths, God was right there with them. When the disciples were out on the sea in a small boat and the, and the waves came rolling in, Jesus got into the boat with them. And as children of God, there might be times when we feel lonely, but we're never, ever truly alone because God is always with you. No matter how deep the waters are, you will never drown. No matter how hot the furnace, you will never burn because you cannot escape the presence of God. So remember his promise, his providence, remember his presence. And then when, when everything seems like it's going wrong, we need to respond with the patience of God. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, We've read it already, but let me read it again. And Joseph's master told, took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now keep that in mind, because if you go over to Genesis in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 41, verse 46, it tells us Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now keep in mind that Joseph was 17 years of old of age when he got sold into Egypt. And now compare verse 20 of chapter 39 and verse 46 of chapter 41. And you put those two get verses together, mathematicians, how long was he in prison? He was there for 13 years. For what? For doing what was right. He was in prison because of his brother's jealousy. He was in prison because of a lying woman. He was in prison because of an ungrateful butler. But all during that time, Joseph never became bitter. He never held a grudge. He never took revenge. And when he finally became the prime minister of Egypt, he never mentioned his brothers who sold him into slavery. He never said anything about Potiphar's wife who had falsely accused him and had him thrown into prison. He never uttered a word about the butler who forgot to mention him to the Pharaoh after he got him released, but he just kept going on loving and living for God. You see, here's the key. Joseph's commitment, commitment was not dependent upon his circumstances, but his com commitment commitment was de dependent on an unfailing, all-knowing, ever-present God. Someone has said that you can tell the size of a Christian by what it takes to stop him. And you know, I know so many Christians who have gone through difficult things in their lives, and they're filled with bitterness, and they're haunted with revenge, 
and they shake their fist at God and say, is this the best you've got for me, God? If it is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Let me ask you this morning. Is your holiness dependent upon your health? Is your joy dependent upon your job? Is your praise dependent upon your prosperity? Martin Luther said something that might not seem earth-shattering, but it says a lot about the kind of man he was. He said these words, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I will still plant my little apple tree and pay my debts. Do you know what that says about Martin Luther? He was saying that no matter what happens tomorrow, I'm going to continue doing what's right. I'm going to continue living the right way. I'm going to continue thinking right. You see, true commitment is not conditional. If a person will not serve God in a prison, he's not ready to serve him in a palace. And so where is God when everything goes wrong? I'll tell you where he is. He's on the throne looking over his people. Where is God when we hurt? Where is he when sleep will not come? Where is he when we wake up in a hospital room with pain that won't stop? I'll tell you where he is. He's right here with us. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, verse 23. The Lord was with him. You see, when we hurt, God hurts. Why did Jesus weep at the tomb of Lazarus when he knew that shortly he was going to raise him from the dead? Because he weeps with us. He understands our sorrows. And when no one listens to you, God listens. And when you wipe a tear from your eye, there is a nail-scarred hand in heaven reaching for a heavenly tear that is falling from his eye. In heaven, God is collecting your tears, which are, are, are part of your prayers and what, a symbolism that he knows you. He knows your pain. He knows your anguish and what you're going through. Oh, and one more thing. There isn't anything louder. Listen, there isn't anything louder than the silence of God. There isn't anything louder than the silence of God. Because we know that when everything goes wrong, where's God? He's right there with you. The Lord was with Joseph and he showed him mercy. I'm gonna close with this. I, I was listening to a song the other day and it really spoke to my heart and it really applied to what we're talking about today. I think it's sung by the Gaither Quartet, someone like that. The song is called Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. It goes like this. I faced a mountain that I never faced before. That's why I'm calling on you, Lord, I know it's been a while. Lord, please hear my prayer. I need you like never before. Here's the chorus. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. 
Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Far from you, Jesus, I thought I could control whatever life would throw my way, but this, I will admit, has brought me to my knees. I need you, Lord, and I'm not ashamed to say sometimes it takes a mountain, sometimes it takes a sea, sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Now, I don't know what mountain that you've been going through, troubled sea or desert that you're facing these days, but I want you to know that God cares. And we here at Northgate care for you. You see, this is a place where you can come and be comforted and be pointed to the one who can give you hope and help and strength for the journey. Because we're not just about bricks and mortar. We're not just about pews and carpet. We're about people. The church is about people. We could be meeting out in the parking lot and we'd still be church. And we care for people. We love people. We care for you. If you're facing some kind of a trouble, some kind of a mountain, some kind of a troubled sea, a desert, this morning I just felt like we need to take some time and pray together. So the worship team is going to come now. And I'm going to pray and, and then we're going to stand. And, and I'm going to ask that if you're facing one of those times in your life and you just need some prayer support, I'm going to have the, the board members come and, and the, the deacons and anyone else who, you're a prayer warrior, I'm going to ask you to come and, and, and as you come to be prayed for, I'm just going to ask that you sit on this front row and they're going to stand behind you and just lay hands on you and I'm going to pray for you. And so I'm going to pray and as the worship team leads us, um, you come because I just feel like we need to do that today. I know there are people going through tough things and we want to support you in that. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for the promises, the prison promises you give to us. Thank you for Joseph's life and, and how he was able to weather that storm because he remembered, he remembered the promises of God and the, and the providence of God and, and he remembered your word to him. And we want to do that today, Lord. We want to support one another, encourage one another as the Holy Spirit enters in and, and touches lives today. We're trusting you, Lord, that you're going to touch lives today in a very special way. It, it may not, their trouble is not going to be removed today, perhaps. But Lord, we're going to help each other in the journey that we take. And we're going to find renewed strength for the journey. We're going to mount up on wings as of, a, as of eagles and fly. Because, Lord, you give us the strength to do that in the midst of all of our troubles. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as the worship team leads us. And I'm going to be here at the front. You come, sit down on the pew. Uh, deacons, board members, prayers, you come and stand behind them.